0: Good morning, everybody. Snow again. Did you get dug out? I was out at 5:45 this morning, and in um, in, in uh, deference to my neighbors, did not blow any snow. I did it the old-fashioned way. I shoveled it. So, um, I'm assuming you guys got shoveled out and are you good to go. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. The silence, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, the New Testament, to First uh, Peter chapter 1. New Testament, First Peter 1. Uh, as most of you know, and just in case you don't, we're in a series called Aliens. It's a study of this, uh, this letter the apostle uh, Peter wrote to uh, Christians in the uh, early church, uh, who he addresses as aliens in the world. Because of their faith in Christ, because of their, their uh, reverence for God, because of their desire to... Obey what God says is right and good and healthy and best for us. Peter explains that at times as Christians, they were going to be misunderstood by the culture around them, and they were going to be viewed as aliens, as a peculiar group of people who just don't seem to always fit in. In fact, uh, in the last four verses of chapter one, Peter emphasizes this idea of strangeness by revealing one particular thing that makes us as Christians uh, stand out as different, and it has to do with the way that we treat one another. Look at what he writes, uh, beginning in verse 22. Peter says to the church, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Uh, before we go on and study this, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we come together this morning as your people, as uh, a family, uh, recognizing our need to hear from you. Uh, whatever life has brought our way this past week, um, good or bad, uh, pleasurable or painful, we, uh, we need to hear from you. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you to speak to us by the power of your Spirit at work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last weekend, I had the the chance to visit my parents. I haven't seen them for a while, and so uh, they live in Florida, conveniently, and uh, so (laughs) I got some warm weather under my skin for a couple days, but we went to visit them, check in on them, see how they're doing. And uh, my wife and I went down, and we got there on a, on a Friday, uh, about, right about dinner time, and we walked in the door. Mom had dinner ready, and so we sat down. And as we were eating, I remembered how when I was a kid, my mom would sometimes make lima beans for dinner and serve them. And, uh, and as a kid, I was required to eat uh, those beans. Now, for some people, that's not a big deal uh for me it's a huge deal uh because i couldn't stand lima and beans and uh and i don't know if it was the beans or the way they were cooked into a waxy mush but um they just did not taste good to me they they were really hard to swallow i literally had to choke them down um and to this day when i see those oddly shaped little green legumes, i you know i i want to i want nothing to do with them i want to run in the other direction well here's the thing studying these last Few verses in chapter one of Peter's letter has been sort of like eating lima beans for me, um, especially when I get to the end of verse twenty-two. Because you know, I don't care so much for what Peter has to say. Not because there's a theological problem with it, or or that it's too complicated. It's quite simple, really. In fact, it's the clarity and the simplicity of what he writes that makes it hard to swallow, because it leaves me no way out. You know, it forces me, it forces all of us to examine our attitudes and our behaviors um, towards one another. So, Peter says one of the things that makes us, he says, one of the things that makes us seem like aliens to the world is that we have this sincere love for one another, this love that's deep and from the heart. And as much as we might like to ignore that statement, we, we can't, you know, we we can't turn and run. We have to face it. We have to wrestle with the question, is that really true? Do we love one another sincerely and deeply? So in the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to just briefly analyze Peter's comments and then spend some time on the practical implication of what he says about love. So first, first the analysis. And I don't know whether you've picked up on this or not, but Peter presents his readers' with a sort of cause and effect deal. Because essentially he says, now that something has happened to you, love one another uh, sincerely and deeply from the heart. And notice how he starts with a pronouncement of what's happened. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And uh, this idea of purification reflects the reality that when any person places his or her faith in Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus, their their sins are forgiven. They're made clean before God by by the the grace of God. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament puts it this way, Jesus, God's son, provides purification uh, for sins. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church, he says, Remember, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. The Apostle John affirms the very same thing. He says, he says it twice in his letter to the church. He says, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sin, uh, sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so here in his letter to the church, Peter stresses the same thing, this reality of purification. But what does he mean by obeying the truth? I mean, isn't... We talk about this a lot. Isn't our eternal rescue, isn't our salvation only and all about grace through faith? Yeah. And really, that's Peter's point here. See, for Peter, obeying the truth means that we've accepted and we've embraced uh, the truth of the gospel, the good news, summarized this way. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is, that is the message and keep in mind, following the birth of the church, it was the apostle Peter who preached this good news to the men and women in the streets of Jerusalem. He said, he said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the forgiveness of your sins. So understand, for Peter, you know, for Peter, being a Christian means that, that a person obeys the command to repent and put their faith in Jesus, to embrace the grace of God. And when that happens, they're purified from sin. Their sins are forgiven. That's the spiritual reality. Now, the second part of verse 22 deals with the result. Namely, he says, that now, that, he says now you have this sincere love for each other, this love that's that deep, it's from the heart. And in a way, um, Peter is doing the same thing the apostle uh, John did in his letter to the early church. They both establish love as the, um, as the final litmus test of authentic faith. Why love? Well, think about it for a second. Um, how do you know you're a Christian? I mean, how do you know you're a Christian? There are essentially three tests. There's a doctrinal test. You know, Do you believe in Jesus, Son of God, died for your sins? By the grace of God through faith in him, you're forgiven. Do you believe that? There's a moral test. Is that... Is that experience in Jesus, the love and grace of God experienced in your life? Is it, is it transforming your life? You know, are you becoming more and more obedient, more and more obedient to what God says is right and good and healthy and safe for you and what's best for you? And then there's the love test. And there's really no questioning it. For, for the Apostle John, for the Apostle Peter, it's it's this love test that's that's the ultimate kicker. Because well, because it's entirely possible to Past the other two, and yet fail overall. In other words, doctrinal purity and moral uprightness can flow from other other forces, other motivations. Isn't that true? I mean, take doctrinal purity for example. Doctrinal purity can be a matter of religious tradition. It's what you know, familiarity, culture, loyalty, fear. And so to say, you know, I believe Jesus is my savior. I believe Jesus, you know, uh, uh, is the Messiah. Proves my faith, Peter says, well, not necessarily. Uh, morality. Morality can also flow from from other motivations or flow out of tradition. It can flow out of culture, nostalgia, loyalty to family, fear of family, temperament, legalism. And so to say, my morality, my morality proves that I'm a Christian. I'm, Peter says, Well, not necessarily. And so love becomes. The final and ultimate test. Why? It's because we're all such broken people that the only way we can truly love one another sincerely and deeply is explained in verse 23. Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Here's my Reiki summary of that. Peter says, listen, what God says is true forever. Everything else may fall and wither, but but um, what God says is true forever, And, and the message that you've received about Jesus is true and utterly reliable. And the message or the word from God is this, Jesus is Messiah, Savior of the world. And... By grace through faith in Him, we are we are forgiven. We're made pure, uh, and are in fact spiritually born anew—not of—not of human perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. In other words, in, in Christ, you're a new spiritual creation. You follow the reasoning there. It's a it's a it's a simple cause and effect deal. As Christians, we're purified uh, from sin by obeying God's call to repent and believe in Jesus, and as a result, we love one another. Because we've been reborn, and we are new creations, behaving in new and different ways. And you realize that's exactly what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, "Love one another," and then He said, "By this, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples, if you love one another." Now, it would be it would be nice to say, "Okay, end the story, close up the books, let's go home," right? But we can't do that, and we can't do it because Peter's point here is not merely theological. It's practical. You know, we're not different simply in what we believe, but in the way we behave, in the way we live. Essentially, Peter is saying, look, we are different, we're strange, we're alien because, well, because we love one another sincerely and deeply. And uh, if we fail to grasp what he means by that, then we miss the thrust of the text. So let's talk about the practical implications and, and what exactly Peter means by loving sincerely and deeply. In order to understand that, we need to define some of, of his terms, and there are several important ones that he uses. Uh, the first Greek term Peter uses that we translate sincere is the Greek term hypocrisis, literally means to, uh, to speak out from under. And that, the word probably sounds familiar to you because it's where we get our English word hypocrite. See, the ancient Greeks and Romans, uh, they loved the theater. It was a big part of culture for them. And uh, and so when when an actor or an actress would go out on a stage to perform... Uh, they would go out and they would bring with them these masks that were held on sticks. And the mask could be, you know, it had this face, it could be a happy face, it could be a sad face, it could be an angry face, it could be a surprised face, whatever. And the actor, the actress would, would speak his or her lines out from behind or out from under the mask. They would play their role. So Peter's term here was a theatrical one, one used in the context of play acting. Uh, And so when Peter applies it to Christians in the church, he uses a negative prefix to the word. In essence, he says, do not do that. Do not speak out from under the mask. Do not be a hypocrite. Do not play act. Do not pretend. Do not be a phony. He's saying, be real, be genuine. Have sincere love for those around you. I mean, sincerity... Is all about truthfulness. It's all about honesty. Yeah? A side note on this. There's a dangerous trend today in our culture for people to equate sincere love with tolerance. And in other words, if you sincerely love me, you won't make any negative comments about me or what I do or even what I perceive as negative comments because that's not, that's not tolerant, therefore that's not loving. But here's the problem. That, defini- that definition of love flies not only in the face of Scripture but in the face of common sense. I mean, if you saw me doing something, um, if you saw me destroying my life through some behavior... Uh, through some risky, unhealthy thing, and you, you were to say, "Look, Ray, man, dude, you're killing yourself. You're you're ruining your life. It's wrong. You got to stop this." Is that a lack of love on your part? No, it's the opposite. It's saying, "Look, because we care about you, because I love you, I'm I'm sharing this with you. I'm telling you this." See, in life, and I think we all I think we all realize this. In life, there's often this tension between love and truth. And uh, if you say, man, I love this person over here, this friend, this family, whatever, I love this person, and I should tell them the truth about what's happening to them, but I know, <clears throat> I know if, I, if I tell them it's going to hurt them, it's going to make them mad, what do you do? Well, sincere love says don't be a coward. Speak the truth. You know, our motivation to do so is, their, is to their benefit. It's their need to hear the truth. And so you try your best to share with them in a manner and in a time, in a context, and in a form that they can hear. You don't just blurt it out. You don't just yell at them. You don't scream at them. You're not belligerent, in which case you may be sincere, but you're not necessarily loving, see? Anyway, back to the text. Peter says, as Christians, we have this kind of love. We have this sincere love for each other. And what's interesting is, is he uses two different Greek terms for love here in the text. The first is the term Philadelphian. Now, we've all heard that. Philadelphia is a city of what? Brotherly love, right? That's what the word met means in the original Greek. That's where we get our word. And so Peter uses this term uh, as a way to emphasize the idea that as Christians, um, as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we are part of a community. We are part, we are members of God's family who are to care for one another uh, as brothers and sisters. But Peter, you see, what well, he wasn't naive. I mean, you know, he came from a family. He probably had siblings, and he knew that sometimes brothers and sisters, well, they don't behave so well. They don't behave in ways that are that are loving. True? If you have siblings, if you have children, you know it's true. You know, I have two kids, and when they were little, it was fascinating, you know, when they were little, I could say to my son, Corey, hey, Corey, don't you love your big sister? Ah, Yeah. And then he'd turn around and bite her or something. You know, <laughs> slap her in the head or, you know, pinch her or somehow mistreat her. She wasn't any different. Hey, Meg, don't you love Corey? Ah, oh, yeah, I love him. Won't you help him pick up his toys? What are you talking about? He made the mess his toys. Let him pick him up. You know, you guys know how it goes, right? So let's be honest. You know, in our own families, when it comes to love, we often say, we often say one thing but act another. Well, The same happens in God's family, you know, the church. It is really easy for us to say what we're supposed to say, to deliver our lines out from beneath the masks and say, yeah, we're a family, yeah, love the church. Love my brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah, I love them all. And then turn around and do something or fail to do something That communicates the very opposite. And that's why Peter adds this command to the end of verse 22 because he's saying, look, as Christians, you guys are to love one another like a family, but don't fake it. Don't just say you love. Show it. Do it. Have sincere love. But then Peter uses a second term for love in the text, and it's the Greek term agape, which refers to unconditional love. It's a love that can be known only from the behavior it provokes. It's a deep self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of others. It's not about emotions. It's about commitment. And it finds its expression in tangible action. It's the term used when we're told God so loved the world that he what? Sat back and did nothing? No. God so loved the world that he sent, he did something he sent and sacrificed his son. So you see according to god according to jesus according to peter john paul everybody else true love is an action it's an action and notice how peter qualifies it here he says love how he says love deeply deeply and the word deeply comes from the greek term tenos literally means to stretch out it's where we get our english word tendon or tension and it carries the idea of extending of stretching I don't know how many of you work out, um, uh, and if you do, whether or not you stretch, but uh, you're supposed to. And uh, I don't know for me when if I stretch before I work out, I'm done, man. I'm done. I'm done stretching. I'm like oh, I can't do anything else. You know, <laughs> that was enough because it's uncomfortable. It hurts, and the older you get, the worse it gets. Uh, it is not necessarily a pleasant thing, and it's with this in mind that Peter says this, so what is he saying? He's saying, look, as God's children, as brothers and sisters, love each other like a family, don't fake it, don't just say you love, do something, take action, lovingly, sacrificially, extend yourselves to others. You see why I don't care so much for these verses? You see why that's kinda hard to swallow? Because the thing is, this is not just its not just an idea. It's not just a suggestion. It's a command. In fact, he's saying love is an expectation. And when Peter says do it from the heart, he means that this, this love should flow from the deepest parts of our physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual being. You know, the heart was considered the governing center of all things. And basically, Peter says that this stretching out kind of love happens because of who you are. You know, it's... As Christians, to love, to really love, to care, to serve each other, it's expected, it's part of what makes us different. It's what happens when we experience the love and grace of God and we're transformed from the inside out. See, Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. The Apostle John spends a lot of time on this issue in his letter to the church, he says this. He goes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them how can the love of God be in that person Let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister this is the message you've heard from the beginning we should love one another Now <clears throat> if you know me you know I'm a pretty I'm a pretty practical guy so Having an example of how this kind of love is played out in our lives is helpful for me, uh, and I think that's probably true of most people. Which is why Jesus shared a story about sincere, sacrificial, stretching-out kind of love. Uh, and a fascinating thing is the term "love" is never even mentioned in the, in the story. He was asked one day by a religious expert. a guy says, to him, "Hey Jesus, what do I, what must I do to?" Inherit eternal life. I mean, this was a religious guy. So in his mind, he's thinking that somehow he could earn it. He could earn his way in. What do I need to do? Performance. Religion. And Jesus, Jesus goes with the conversation. He says, well, you're the religious expert. What does the law say? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? The guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And Jesus says, you know what? You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And it's interesting because the guy, you know, the guy didn't have an issue with loving God, the whole loving God part, because it's really easy to say you love God. Yeah, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's easy. What the guy balked at, what he was really struggling with, was the idea of loving his neighbor as much as himself. So he says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? You know, and how do I love him? So Jesus proceeds to tell the story of an Israelite man traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho and uh I've been in that area I've seen uh I've seen the land there it's pretty barren um it's desert and uh uh Jesus says he's on his way down this barren desert road and he gets mugged by a bunch of robbers uh and there's no one else around so they you know they leave him on the side of the road with with nothing they 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 take his money, his clothes, they just brutally beat him and they leave him there for dead. And Jesus said, and then along comes a priest, a religious leader, who sees the guy and he walks around him. And Jesus said, then then comes a a Levite, um, a religious lay person, a temple worker. They see the guy laying there and they walk around him as well. And then Jesus said, a Samaritan walked down the road. Now, The Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. You know, Jewish people, they viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, filthy half-breeds. You don't have anything to do with them. And they avoided them at all costs. But the Samaritan doesn't act in a hateful way or with apathy toward this injured, Samaritan, uh, this injured Jewish person. Rather, Jesus said the Samaritan, when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on valuable oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took, took care of him there. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is about two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, hey, you know, look after him. I got to take off. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus asked the religious expert this. He said, which of these three people do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert said, well, the one who did something, who acted uh, in mercy. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. Now go and do likewise. So what was the point of the story? The point of the story was that anyone who really loves God with their whole being will love others. That's the point. The amazing thing is that Jesus offers this incredibly clear picture of what sincere love is without even using the term. It's brilliant. I mean, the Samaritan in the story doesn't say anything about loving this Israelite. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't write about it. He doesn't sing about it. He doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, compose songs about it. He He doesn't develop, you know, mission statements around it. He just does it. Love is action. According to Jesus, love is seeing someone in need and not turning away or making excuses why you can't help. That's what the religious guys do. Jesus says love is not deterred by racial or socioeconomic prejudice. Jesus said love is willing to sacrifice your own agenda, your own schedule, your own time, precious commodities to those of us in our culture. Jesus says love is getting down in the trenches with hurting people, into the fray, into the mess, into the nitty-gritty of someone else's life and experience in an effort to help them and to serve them. Jesus says love is about willingly sacrificing your resources, your oil, your wine, your bandages, your donkey, your money to help meet the needs of somebody else other than yourself. Jesus said love is is about going out out of your way, extending yourself, stretching yourself beyond your comfort zone, it's, it's something that causes us discomfort and pain. It's a love that's risky. It's, it's, it's going, it's serving, it's pouring, it's giving, it's sacrificing, it's following through. You get the point? Jesus was ultimately saying that if you're a follower of mine, Jesus says, if you, if, you, if you love me, if you truly love me, you will sincerely and deeply love others. I remember one Sunday after one of our services, I met a man and woman in our lobby and I, I could tell they were kind of. This was the first time because they were like deer in the headlights, you know, not, not knowing where to go. And, and so I went up to them. The woman was on crutches, and I went up to them and I said, introduced myself. I said, hey, you know, um, blah blah blah, and welcome. Are you looking for someone, or you know, because they they look they were looking around. And they said, yeah, actually we are. And then the woman told me how the week before on Saturday, she was in a bad car accident right out here on St. Charles Road, and her how her leg was, was was broken and you know, snapped to a 90 degree angle and how she, she was in excruciating pain there uh, and the two strangers showed up, a man and a woman, and helped her and talked with her and comforted her and stayed with her till the paramedics got there and didn't leave until the, the, the ambulance left for the hospital. And she said, we're here because those two people are from your church. Um, and I don't know their names. And I was hoping to find them and to say thank you. And because she said, what they did for me as strangers says a lot about this place. And um, I'm not sure we ever found out who it was. Um, But it doesn't matter because love isn't about kudos. Right? Love is about doing what's right. Love is about extending ourselves to others, even strangers. You know, as Christians, as those who've experienced the love and grace of God in our lives who are forgiven, purified of our sin. Loving others sincerely and deeply from the heart should be what we do, man. It should be what we do because we've been reborn. We are new creations. Peter says it's what makes the difference. It's what makes us different. So, let me ask, you know, if you can see yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you know, as a child of God, as a member of his family, are you sincere in your love for those around you? especially those in the church who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you sincerely, sacrificially extending and stretching yourself for the sake of this community, this family? Are you spending time, energy, serving, giving, comforting, ministering, helping? Love is an action. It's way more about what you do than what you feel or what you say. How are you involved in loving others sincerely and deeply from the heart? On the night of his arrest, while he sat in a a room in Jerusalem with his disciples sharing a meal together, Jesus said to his closest friends, he said, you know, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then you know what? Within 24 hours of speaking those words, Jesus proved he loved us sincerely and deeply. He proved it when he extended himself and stretched out his arms on a cross. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you've placed your faith in him, now that you've experienced God's love and grace in your life, and you are forgiven, and you're, you're purified, you do you, it's not even a question of do you, should you, will you, have it you've got to have sincere love for one another you can't fake it don't fake it take action stretch yourself to love each other deeply from the heart do it it's who you are God's love and grace changes us from the inside out trust me trust me on this you know in a in a self-centered and self-absorbed uh, absorbed culture like ours it's your love that Will make the difference. It's your love that makes you different. It makes you strange. It makes you aliens in the world. And it proves whose you are. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm grateful for the time together here this morning, and um, I pray that you give us each the courage. Uh, To look at our own lives, to look at our own behaviors, to look at our relationships, both uh, in our families, among our friends, and those relationships here within this community of faith, within this family. Um, Loving, truly loving each other means um, not faking it, not just saying it, but but showing it, proving it, demonstrating it, doing something, taking action. Um, Loving deeply means that we extend ourselves, even to the point of pain, for the benefit of another. I pray that we would have the courage to decide whether that's how we're living or not, and if not, why? Because if we've experienced your love and grace, uh, that changes us. That changes the equation. And that kind of love and grace begins to flow from us to others. And So, Lord, I, uh, I pray in the next few minutes we could, um, we could have some insight. Would you give us that? And um, uh, we'll be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling to understand this idea of God's love or maybe maybe you're having some relational issues and you, you're struggling with loving uh, someone in your life, uh, following a service, some of our prayer team will be down here in the front. They'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you about it. Um, so um, that's their way to love you and to help you. Right, I hope you can come back next Sunday. We're going to continue with, uh, with, uh, with Peter and see what he has to say next uh, to the church. I hope you're finding it helpful. In the meantime, have a great week. Let me pray for you. And now, Father, as we leave, may, um, may uh, your love and your grace bring about a deep change in us that we might love others as you have loved us. Uh, and so may your hand of grace and peace and power and love rest on your people, your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.